Hey everyone, I'm excited to tell you about a new podcast I'm launching with two very special Daughters of Change. Sarah Stacy, our Daughters of Change podcast producer, and Dr. Marilyn Lakin, the guest of our January 2023 podcast, Lessons from a Wise Woman. Our podcast is called Never Been Old Before and will help you redefine what it means to get older. Starting in November, our multi-generational team of women will be bringing you the latest information on aging and speaking with today's experts and pioneers. Our goal is to create a library of knowledge and experience to help you or your loved ones navigate this phase of life to the fullest. I initially interviewed today's honorary Daughter of Change, Greg Lathrop, for the Never Been Old Before podcast. But as we delved into our conversation, I realized that this intriguing subject would appeal to all of you. We hope that you enjoyed this sneak peek of the Never Been Old Before podcast. Welcome to the Daughters of Change podcast. My name is Marie Sola. And I'm a firm believer that women and girls play a major role in creating change for our future. This podcast tells the stories of the women and girls who are creating that change, each in their own unique way. Every day is an opportunity to blaze new trails and set positive change in motion. The possibilities are endless. Let's get started. Greg Lathrop is licensed as a registered nurse. At age 15, he experienced what he thought would be the moment of his immediate death. The transpersonal, mystical state of being he experienced transformed his perspective of consciousness and guided his choices regarding his work in this life. Accordingly, his more than 40 years of nursing experience has included serving within various healthcare realms, acute care, critical care, emergency care, air medical transport, hospice, and integrative health. Coinciding with his nursing practice, he was invited into a traditional indigenous medicine apprenticeship, following his teacher, Will Rocking Bear, for more than 13 years until Rocking Bear's crossing. He is now recognized as a medicine elder in the way of traditional healing. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us. And today we are here with Greg Lathrop, who is a medicine elder who sits on the Elder Council for the Center of Conscious Living and Dying. We have a really interesting interview and discussion here with Greg today. So I know you're going to enjoy it. Greg, this whole journey, it seems like it began when you were 15 years old and you had a near-death experience how did that impact you and change the course of your life well yes it, it did and it became a marker for me in my life related to a 
a state of consciousness or a state of being that I experienced in what I thought was going to be my imminent death, uh, my immediate death uh, by, by trauma. Well, long story short, a tractor versus a semi-truck. And um, so in that moment in which I thought death is inevitable, I experienced something. I experienced a state of being that was uh, and is a marker for me in my life. And I've been looking for it ever since. And that is a moment of timeless, loving, peaceful awareness. And the words don't don't measure the fullness of what I experienced, but that's the best I can do is to try to put it into words. And, and it's like I've heard this before, and this is how it felt for me in this experience, that the whole is larger or bigger than the sum of the parts. And so I experienced that wholeness that is much bigger than the sum of the parts of my body or who I think I am in this world. There's the expansive ideas um, or the expansive nature, really, of, of what I experienced uh, just implanted in my being that there is so much more than what we think about in this world. That's the best I know to say. Yeah, and it seems to me hearing you and having um, heard of, you know, other people speak who've been through something similar that words can't do justice to the experience. No, no, exactly. And so because of that, I didn't speak about it for at least 40 years. I didn't say anything to anyone about it. It was just too much to try to explain. And, and so I remained quiet with that, which is pretty common in the realm of uh, near-death experiences or shared-death experiences. Often we find it difficult to talk about because it's beyond the ability to explain. And uh, so, yeah, but it was a, it's a marker. It's a marker for me. It was a, I found myself, I believe, related to that moment, uh, searching for uh, what that might look like in our lives and that that basically took me into healthcare. that's where i felt like i would find that yeah and so really uh to segue from that you began your work in healthcare in trauma care where the goal mm -hmm. is to prevent death mm -hmm. you know and what did you observe during that time that led you to where you are today well, it was like the a boot camp of many years in boot camp of, of just really being in the situations where I was with and have been in the service of someone who's in the, that season of their immediate death uh, or gradual death later in my practice. But in the trauma care, you're in the immediacy of a dying season. It's, it's happening now. And so uh, trying to uh, stop that or try to resuscitate someone who is an experiencing uh, physical death was the primary goal. And, and of course, we need that in this world. Uh, there are a lot of people who we were able to resuscitate successfully and went on to carry on with their lives. And so that definitely was a part of my initial learning curve about being with those who are in that similar state of being that same place that I was on the tractor. And um, 
So my relationship to it was very physiological. It was very much knowing what I needed to do and what we needed to do as a team to be able to create for the opportunity for the body to live again. So that's where all of our focus was. But there came a time when this one elder man, uh, uh, long story short here again, um, but this elder man was involved in a traumatic uh, crash, uh, vehicle crash, and he was very elder. He was in his 90s, and he was uh, broken. Um, every every part of him that I could see was broken, and yet he was still conscious. And as we were putting him into the helicopter to fly him to the trauma center, I had said something to him along the lines of, because uh, the helicopter starts cranking up and things start getting loud, and I said, "Do you can you hear me? And he shook his head, no. And so I thought that'd be a, an odd response. He, he certainly heard me enough to be able to answer the question. So my partner had that uh, the look of Spock on his face, like that is illogical. And um, so I said again, can you hear me? And we'll call him Mr. Jones. Can you hear me, Mr. Jones? We're getting ready to lift off. And he shook his head no again. So here we are on the edge of this, this state of consciousness that I've referred to already a little bit. And that is we're on the edge of that, and I know we are. And he shakes his head no. And I knew in that moment what he was telling me. What he was telling me was, I'm not going to be staying, and it's all right. I'm not going to be flying with you. <laughs> and essentially, I heard that within myself. It's all right. I'm not staying. And I turned to the monitors that we had, the cardiac monitor, and witnessed his last heartbeat. And so there became a little a place where I really uh, witnessed this dear elder experiencing a conscious uh, death, a conscious living and dying, literally. <laughs> He was aware and he was not afraid. I could feel it in my bones that he just was giving me a, a, a message of great peace and liberation. And so that became another marker in my life to carry on in this world and find uh, about how that may be for us as we walk in this world. And so eventually... Um, your journey led you to working in hospice and to the work mm -hmm. that you're doing now, serving people in their dying season, which we will uh, get into a little bit more specifically later on in the podcast. But mm -hmm. was there a defining moment for that or a, a, a why for you when you decided to switch from, you know, the, the trauma care into this uh, sort of helping people? to the next part of their journey. Yes, it really felt like another step on the uh, on the path of embracing this even more to embrace not trying to stop it now. So it was a transition from the uh, we have to stop death at all cost and within myself my sense was uh, more interested in learning about what how could it be for me to work in this realm that we call our dying season um when we're not trying to stop it 
and what what comes up in relation to this work uh, physically emotionally mentally spiritually what ha- what 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 does that look like if i'm not all involved in trying to stop the process and to allow the process so it seemed very important for me in my life to make my way in that realm i had started considering that even as i was a chief of the program of the air medical team here and i had done that for 12 years so it felt like a season that that season of learning for me on the air medical team was coming to a closure it was complete but i probably never would have left there because i just thought this is who i am and this is what i do so in my language, I would say that spirit knows how to do this. And so my position was eliminated on the program uh, at, a, at a very perfect time where I had already started seeking out ideas about what hospice might offer. And so I, uh, I walked away from that program um, because of some corporate shifting of leadership and uh, found my way into hospice uh, for another 12 years. Yeah. Hmm. It's interesting how that happens, isn't it? That just uh, was right in my lap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, some, <laughs> all of this, yeah. all of this, yeah. all of this is those moments. Sometimes, just in a single moment, or uh, just or a very, um, it's just very noticeable to me about how doors open, and um, and if we're brave enough, we can walk through them, and that even includes death. Sometimes we need a nudge, right? A little bit of a nudge. A little bit of a nudge. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many questions about death and dying. And I imagine that you get those both from the patients uh, or the people, let's just say the people you work with and their loved ones. How do you guide people through this from both an existential and then also from a metaphysical standpoint? Well, that's a good question. And the first thing I would say is I would, I would, for myself, I would eliminate the word guide. I don't feel like I'm guiding anyone. I feel like I am with others in their life. And so it doesn't feel like guiding to me. I, th- I feel like there is guiding happening, but I, in my witnessing over many years, the guiding is happening from beyond this world. That's where the guidance comes. So I'm just walking along with, and most of the time I have to say, Marie, that I, I feel like I don't know what I don't know in this work. And so for me, um, to say that and to be aware of that is how I'm moving. It's I'm just simply doing my best to stay within the flow of what's happening, to to be with, to move with what's presenting itself in this this time of what we call our dying. And to allow, to acknowledge, and to reflect and to share with those that I'm given the honor to to walk with during this time it's certainly not me saying let me show you how to do this because that is impossible i can't do that uh it's it's not my role my role is to be with and i see myself figuratively i see myself 
about a half step behind them if we look at it in a in a vision if we're walking towards the crossing if i can put it that way and we'll use a river as an example so if we're walking to the river and we're going to go to the river together and then this this dear soul is going to cross over then i'm walking with them and i'm not leading them i'm not pulling them by the arm i'm standing behind them and walking behind them so that they know that i'm at their back and i'm just right here so that is more the feeling of what i i believe that i'm doing and um they are leading me quite frankly to where they want to go and how they want to get there so that's beautiful um and and comforting and based on everything that you've been doing and all of your experience with this how would you define conscious dying or how is it defined Conscious dying to me is um, is conscious living. Dying and living are not polar opposites. Um, we might, let's just take a look at that for a second. Dying to me is a season within our living. It's a part of our living. It's not separate from or opposite to. The opposite of death is birth. And so you have those opposites in this world, and I suspect in this world only, <laughs> where, where, well, that's another whole rabbit hole. But the dying in relation to that is living. It is a season or a phase of our life. To me, I've come to understand about how I define dying. And I, and, and I must say, I take responsibility for all of my words in relation to the only thing I can talk about is myself. This is the only way I can share is I'm talking about myself. And so that comes from a particular perspective that I have in relation to my experience or particular belief, if you will. And that creates a perception of how this might be and then we have the experience of that. So I'm talking about myself in relation to that. Um, and so if there's anything that doesn't resonate, you can throw it in the first trash can you see on your way out the door. It's no problem. Um, dying to me is a season of living and it is an in-between time. It's a, it's a transitional time. Uh, so I would say in between transitional space. And what is it in between? I've come to witness that dying is the in between of who I thought I was and who I choose to be. That to me is dying. Now we look at the body and yes, the body Sometimes we don't really acknowledge the seasons of our dying until our body starts to slow down to, to stop. And that's when we really, <laughs> if nothing else is, is gathered our attention around ourselves, then physical dying will. It's a way of us coming back into what is really important in my life. And so sometimes when the body is showing that it's going to stop sooner than we thought then that will really gather our attention 
and we start really looking at parts of ourselves that maybe we've resisted for a long time. I think that dying is one of the biggest truth serums there is because we really start looking at what is what what really has meaning and, and quite frankly we start witnessing how much of our energy we have spent in meaningless tasks or meaningless areas that really we just our priorities definitely change so dying to me is that transition where we're aware that's who i thought i was we have a sense that that no longer fits and so who do i choose to be i have experienced this in being with dying of people very close to me for instance my wife died suddenly in 2013 and what i noticed is i immediately went into this life review of our life together and so it's not just the one whose body is slowing down to a stop it's all of us together we're looking at ourselves and we are evaluating perhaps or we are we're just we're just we become aware of how is my life and what i experienced in my dying that related to her physical death is that i was doing exactly what i'm talking to you about i was aware of who i thought i was and when she died that person did not exist anymore for me i the greg that i was with her also died there was no one else in this world that i was going to be that person with because we are all interrelated with each other and i and she had our it's what i call her name was judy and it's what i called the judy greg the judy greg died because judy in the body was no longer here now i've come to understand that i felt that very somatically very viscerally in the beginning and then i realized well she's not really gone so there's a part of me that is actually much closer with that that life force than even when we were together in body i don't that's difficult to explain too but i have felt that and so i that's an evolution of that thought but so dying to me if we look at that then i would say you can see that um if we say dying is the transition or in between who i thought i was and who i would choose to be then you might notice that i'm not really talking about the body and that we experience seasons of our dying many times as we walk on this earth and our body has not is not ended we have dying seasons uh often in our time as we walk on this earth so that's how i would relate to that yeah uh it's powerful and greg are you starting to see changes in the healthcare community in terms of options being offered to people who are nearing end of life that aren't necessary you know maybe yeah you know, maybe they don't want to keep doing treatment or some things aren't working. What What are you seeing there? Because you have this unique perspective from both ends of it. 
Well, definitely, we're seeing um, we baby boomers all of them <laughs> are starting to say, "No, there's got to be a, a better way." You know, there has to be a better way to look at this, and um, and so yes, I am seeing changes happening. What I'm seeing happening is hospice, even hospice, has basically become medicalized, and over over time. And and certainly if we're in a hospital setting, uh, it's certainly a very medical approach to dying. And my understanding is dying is not a medical event. So we have a tendency in our healthcare to medicalize it. And uh, one of my goals earlier uh, when I was working integrative healthcare in the hospital was because of my experiences trying to shift the environment of dying in the hospital even and trying to create for uh, something that uh, looked a little more evolved than just our medical approach to uh, trying to preserve a body that is uh, often can be just a very futile process but it just wasn't possible i couldn't do it from from within the hospital it was just too big of a, a bear to, to wrestle with. And, and so, yes, we, we see, uh, we have hospice available. We have people becoming more and more empowered to not just do treatment because, uh, because a physician says, this is what you need to do. More people are starting to look at what they consider to be a quality of their life and, and choosing not, not to seek the kind of treatment that might be offered. We're seeing uh, we're seeing places like the Center for Conscious Living and Dying uh, start to emerge, and this one, this community here, has its own personality. It has its own nuance, and yet it's also part of the Omega Home Projects, which is family care homes throughout the country, and um, and and providing for a support in in dying care that is. Um, outside of the hospital system and and for people who need or really desire to have a bigger family shall we say and, and here at cclb it's a family model uh, we, we're we don't hire nurses and other clinicians there are many nurses here there are many other clinicians here but we're not there's no there's no positions here for a nurse or a clinician because we're, we're doing hospice home care. We're providing a home. We're providing care for someone who needs a larger family. And that's happening a lot in our world right now. There's a lot of um, our population, our elder population that live alone, you know. And, and so this is uh, an attempt to create another option for them as well. I mean, for, for all, for all. You know, we're seeing people starting to say with their uh their perhaps their even their moderately end stage or end stage disease they're starting to say you know uh my body can no longer do what it needs to do so i'm going to go ahead and consciously move along uh and so we see that involuntarily stopping eating and drinking it's becoming more noticeable and more uh, there's more energy around that right now so I think we are seeing those kind of changes. So when when our healthcare starts to feel like it's really kind of uh, 
our healthcare right now is very concerning for a lot of people. And as a nurse looking at it, I'm very concerned about the path that our healthcare is taking. But what's happening is when that system starts changing in a way that seems well, to many of us, it feels like it's somewhat imploding. It's just sort of falling apart. And we can clearly see that since the pandemic, where it's, there's the nursing shortage is as large as it's ever been right now in regards to having people who are just really even interested in doing the work. But when that starts to change in a way that is... It's not calling people in to do the work. And so right now they're all all our healthcare right now is dealing with how do we take care of people with, with less and less caregivers and less nurses and less doctors. And we see things happening like community care. We see we see homes like the one that I'm talking about with CCLD starts to emerge and say, Well, this is the other this is this is created because of those other systems are starting to fail. So yeah, that's what I'm seeing. And so uh, I have some other questions, but I want to just I want to stop for a second and talk more about the Center for Conscious Living and Dying, because it, it feels unique to me anyway. Um, so is it actually a place that people physically go to or are you going to people's homes? Is it a combination? Because I know that we had talked about the fact and you mentioned earlier that there are so many boomers now, right? And there could be boomers that live alone or didn't have kids or they're far away from family and they're consciously making this choice to sort of create a new community. Are they physically coming to, to the center or is it a combination? It's combination. It's all of the above. What it is, is it's a a community model where we have volunteers who come, you know, the mission is to create a community that embodies living a meaningful life through our inner exploration and growth and service and community supported end of life care. That's basically the mission statement for CCLD. So yes, people do come. We have a property with a big, with a with a home that uh, people can come and and live there in their imminently dying season. So when they are in those last days, and what we say here in these mountains in the old language is they're looking for their trailhead. So they're coming looking for the opening. And so during that time, we have communal support. So we have caregivers that have learned how to be with. We are not a hospice because we don't need to be a hospice. We collaborate with hospice. Hospice brings those who are hospice patients to us because they need a home or they need a place. If they have a home and they don't have family support, they need the family support, etc. It's all of that. It's also community growth in order for all of our members. We have over, we just... We've just been going uh, really just a very short time. We're still in our infancy of this community. And we have people that are coming. We have over 200 volunteers right now. So we're, we're working with that volunteer group and teaching them how to be with. And, and, and a big part of that is to be with, I'll I'll say this. I learned a long time ago, I can't share something I don't have. If I don't have it, I I can't give it to you. 
And so when if we look at ourselves, then how do we share compassion? How do we share a loving kindness? How do we share in this time of uh, this very intimate time for those who have come to to allow their body to die uh, naturally as they as they move on, shall we say, between here and there. That's all death is, is an open door. And when the door is open, uh, what is there to stop us from moving from here to there? Nothing. <laughs> so, so we could say death is nothing. <laughs> but that, that doesn't sit well with a lot of people. <laughs> so... We have to hold that in our, we have to have that compassion and that loving kindness and, and that forgiving presence. We have to have that within ourselves in order to share it with those who come. So a great deal of the work that's happening with CCLD is cultivating that within ourselves and really putting a lot of our, our, our focus and our energy in how am I? in this and what is it that i can how can i have help with my own sense of compassion for myself my own self-love my own forgiveness putting laying down guilt all of that stuff we all carry and so when you're doing that in a community together and you have this trust that becomes very palpable as you as you move together in this realm then we have that we can offer to those who come and would like to have our support. And yes, also we're looking at, uh, so it starts with having the home for people to come and the community that is, is ever involved in their own self-growth and personal healing together. That is happening, but also we can see that we're, we're trying to, we're looking and we're growing and, and we are, learning about what does that mean and there's so many different branches on the tree that could be uh, considered one is yes people want to stay in their home too so even though they have hospice help at home hospice comes and does their part but there's still gaps there's gaps in the care there's gaps and the, maybe the family doesn't have the capacity to do it but they want to stay home so yes those those kinds of systems are being created as well and there's a whole movement called share the care and so sharing the care is a is something that we're also working on so there are a lot of things a lot of things that are happening but those are the those are fundamental it sounds like it's evolving and growing it is yeah. evolving and absolutely yeah. is. Yeah. and people are you know to go back to the term conscious living and dying people are choosing how to live their dying season absolutely yeah completely completely and so what is your role as a medicine elder so as a medicine elder it means that i also walked with a dear elder uh in his life for over 13 years and his name was uh, rocking bear and rocking bear gave me the opportunity to learn his way of beauty in this world and so a medicine elder relates to uh, traditional uh, healing communities traditional wisdom traditional indigenous medicine and so i i really come as 
I, you know, we said I'm on the elder council, which is a part of the older traditional communities that we even acknowledge that there's an elder council that's just watching and, and helping to maintain a solid focus and what, and so that we can continue to remember what we are really doing. <laughs> and, and so I just finished a 13 day fire, uh, for a man who is at, was at CCLD just, just, he just crossed over on Saturday. And so for 13 days, we held a fire, a vigil, and and worked with the medicine. Fire is energy medicine. So we worked with the, the fire as medicine, and the community could come and participate in the vigil for this man who has reached a point where he was no longer taking any sustenance, no food or water, and his consciousness was starting to wax and wane. And... And so the people come, we come and we create that energy. We create that energetic, um, uh, that energetic space of, of, for instance, we, we, we eat for him, for his comfort, not to sustain him, but to his comfort. We drink for him to quench his thirst when he can't drink for himself anymore. We, we, we cultivate our own joy and our own gratitude for him. Everything we do in the medicine of fire and coming together and being drawn, you know, it's very magnetic. Fire draws us in and we come together and we often become a little more quiet. <laughs> we think a little less and we open our hearts a little bit more. So we just really tap into that and do this in an intercessory way for those who are crossing who are trying to make their way through this final days, looking for the trailhead, looking for the opening so they can move on. So that's, so medicine elder is, is holding the, holding the, the wisdom that has been passed down for, you know, hundreds of years uh, and even longer, um, just holding that space within the community. And I'm not the only one, there are others. So I go there, I come to the community, even though I have a nursing license, I'm not there as a nurse, I'm there as a firekeeper. And so we hold it in that way, at least at CCLD. And Greg, I know that you're in uh, North Carolina. Are you aware of other communities uh, that are out there? Or, or is this, to your knowledge, or is this really unique? Well, I think there are other communities out there that are creating for space for people to come in their dying season and have that that residential or that family kind of support instead of a medical facility. Um, however, I couldn't say about how many communities actually approach it in the way that I've just described. We can certainly see that in the traditional uh, communities of our world and that this is a very, this is what we're doing with regards to what I just said a moment ago and holding that vigilance, that prayerful vigilance. I mean, it's so old, it looks new, you know, it's been going on for, for a lot, thousands of years. And, uh, and so I couldn't say that, that the other communities that the other homes that open themselves up probably have their own their own personality some of them feel more like facilities they hire nurses they hire you know and so it's more of a facility and it's more 
kind of facility-based. It's a home setting instead of a hospital. But, you know, I think that what we are doing feels kind of pretty organic. And it's just we're really trying to tap into uh, this organic growth that, that doesn't forget about what we're really trying to do here, and that is to, to create this loving, healing energy that uh, that can assist during these last days for people who are there. And Greg, you've been with many people at this point, including people close to you and loved ones who've drawn their last breath. Mm-hmm. What have you learned that the most important thing you feel that you've learned or gained, um, you know, just gained personally from that? What I would uh, say about that is that um, that last breath, death, dying, well, we, we often hear them together, death and dying. We've talked about dying together here today, and so you see where I feel about that. So we have that dying. And so then death, what is death? Death is a moment in time. And that is all that it is, and that's everything that it is. It's a moment in time. It's a moment. It's the last moment in time. And from what I've witnessed all these years is that the moment of death is actually the easiest moment of every moment we have experienced in this world. I've seen that every time. And so now our dying can be challenging because we have the stories and we have the suffering related to our stories and we have the physical kinds of discomfort that we're working, the pain, we have the pain, but not always. Often the pain is not as much as we often fear it's going to be. That That's the story we often create. Uh, so often, I am asked, well, when is this going to get harder? Literally, when is this going to get harder? We have this idea that here we are now, and we know that the body is dying. So when is this going to get harder? What I've come to experience is that I reflect the question very confidently because I've watched so many, and I said, who says it's going to get harder? Actually, what I notice is it often gets easier as we move along especially if we have those, what creates that sense of being harder, quite frankly, is the fear that we bring. The fear that we bring creates this idea that, oh, this is going to get much, much harder. And this is, um, this is what I've seen. So I would say that the moment, the easiest moment of every moment in our life is actually the moment of death. It's the ultimate final release. And so what I say about that is I see that we have fear. We are human. We do move in fearful places, but that we move through the fear. The fear is not permanent. There is a place beyond the fear. And they've all taught me that there is a place beyond the fear where the fear no longer uh, rules or there is not even present. We come to a place where we can see it. If we're willing to hang in there with them and to be with them and watch, we can see that place where the fear that has been present completely dissipates. And then there is nothing but the loving awareness of being 
of being. So we can move through the fear, and we do move through the fear always. So when we see fear, know that it is impermanent and that it does not last forever. Greg, if there is one thought that you can leave the listeners with, what would that be? (laughs) Oh, there's so many. Um, The one thought. Don't be afraid. Everything's going to be all right. Marilyn, Sarah, and I hope that you have enjoyed this preview of the Never Been Old Before podcast. If you like what you heard, look for the podcast starting this November on your favorite podcast app. Or you can check out our website at neverbeenoldbefore.com. That's Never Been Old Capital B, the number four dot com. <laughs>